0: It was always part of the plan to put a brewery in, but for many years it, it was just a plan. It's 100%
1: acquisition of Green Beacon. No, we had a chat with everybody. Anyone would have seen this coming a mile away. The passion and the, the dedication to beer and brewing. Oh
0: yeah, that's super simple and direct question.
1: It's always fun to get to speak about beer.
0: And that's just what we're here to do, talk about beer. I'm Brews News Editor Matt Kierkegaard, and thanks to Cryer this is Beer as a Conversation, our weekly sit-down with the people shaping the beer industry, and through these conversations we dig a little deeper into the stories behind the business of beer and brewing. The Australian brewing landscape is evolving rapidly, and here we try and make sense of what is happening and better understand the issues shaping the industry. This week, something a little different. While the lockdowns have stopped us from getting out and about to chat with brewers, it has made it possible for us to catch up with some of the people we have found interesting and had on our list to have a conversation with for some time. One of those is my guest today, Stefan Mulemans, General Manager at Yeastmaker Fermentis. I first met Stefan at Seabrew in Bangkok last year and was intrigued that the head of a yeast company has spent 15 years working in the hops industry, as well as opening a Belgian craft brewery. When I was at the Fermenter sharing day in Lille last year, I was hoping to get some time to chat with him, but his schedule didn't permit it. With the world in lockdown, I was finally able to get some time in his schedule and find out a little bit more about his background, including asking questions such as, how did a Belgian beer lover come to work for a US hop grower, and whether hops have changed his expectations for Belgian beer. And in that context, we also got to talk about where yeast is headed as a featured ingredient in beer the rise of sour beers, ultra-low alcohol beers, and also hazy beers have all had a big impact on the focus that has been given to this sometimes underappreciated ingredient. I had hoped to speak a little bit more about the brewery that he established and ran for eight years, whose name I won't even attempt to pronounce, but time didn't permit for that, and we'll hopefully get another chance one day. In the meantime, I hope you enjoy my conversation with Stefan Mullemund from Fermentus. Stefan Mulemans, welcome to Beer is a Conversation.
1: Well, thank you. Thank you, Matt. Thank you for giving me the opportunity to, to talk to you. It, it, it's my pleasure and it's been
0: something that I've wanted to do since I was fortunate to, to visit uh, Fermentus last year for your sharing day and be present as you had distributors from around the world talking uh, and you were able to, to talk to them about the development. But unfortunately, in such a busy day, I didn't get a chance to sit down uh, with you on microphone. So uh, thank you very much for making time, but I guess with how things are at the moment, more than anything, I want to ask, how are things going uh, for, for, for you and your team uh, over in
1: France? Yeah, you're right. It's, um, it's a very special time, you know. Um, first of all, I have to say that everyone is doing really well, and uh, every individual, every person uh, in our team and around our team, uh, all the service providers that we work with, all the partners, uh, most of the people, if not all, are doing really quite well. Uh, we're very fortunate about that. Of course, very quickly, and, and that's the first thing I have to say, we've been, I think, quite, quite. we've been reacting very, very fast, very, very fast to the situation, putting in place new rules, new ways of working, collaborating, communicating, and, and everyone, every person has really stepped into it uh, very quickly and, and taking a new role with even some pleasure uh, now with time it might become more difficult but uh, uh, hopefully the wave of the development of this virus will 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 slow down or development will slow down as we move ahead and that will allow some people to get back to more normal lives uh, early rather than too late.
0: Now, Fermentis has offices ar- around the world, including some in China. So did you have early notice or er- early awareness? Did you have to take precautions because of what was happening in China for your team?
1: Yeah, we, we were, you know, actually, I'm, I'm a member of the executive committee of the Le group that Fermentis belongs to. And uh, in January, we had a, a COMEX meeting with the COMEX team of the group and the, the general manager of La SAF China was attending. He was there. And it's just a time when, when it started to develop quite fast. And as mm-hmm. we were together as a COMEX team, we immediately talked about the topic and set up a, a crisis management cell uh, inside the group, the and then a crisis management cell across different business entities of the group. And we were able to very quickly Analyze the information, react to it, and, and set up the the right yeah, the right uh, organization to to try to to counter what was happening, and more importantly, protect uh, the people uh, that are part of our group, and and make sure that we could also continue our activity because we quickly realized that as a yeast manufacturer and yeast supplier, we had a quite important role to play in society. You know. Without yeast, no bread today. And uh, and we contribute to the manufacturing of one bread out of three in the world. And so it's, uh, it was it was really important that we protect the plants and the people and, and our processes so that we can continue to supply our products uh, throughout the world to all the customers.
0: I hadn't even considered um, that aspect of, of your business, but we have seen in Australia, um, once things like uh, toilet paper uh, ran out, but we're also seeing flour uh, is um, hard to come by in, in in our shops. And I'd heard, heard that yeast was also looking uh, hard to get as well. So it, it, I, I guess businesses such as yours are critical uh, in, in the current situation.
1: Yes, it is. And, you know, for example, uh, at Fermentis today, uh, because of our business development uh, in the last Five, six years, especially we 've had to look at uh, alternative production sites for beer yeast, for example, and last year we decided to produce some beer yeast in Italy, partly, and of course Italy being in the in, the, in Europe at least being a hotspot uh, related to the coronavirus development uh, it 's been critical for us to protect the plant and, and the processes and make sure that we can we can ship out of that plant uh, any kilo of yeast that's manufactured. You know, first, manufacture it and then ship it out and, and distribute it to several regions around the world. And so it was very important, again, to take necessary measures to to, to protect the, the plant staff and the, the, the workers of the plant and all the supply chain channel and everything to make sure that we can you know, deliver on orders and continue to supply the product, which is quite critical. More so for bread than for beer. But even beer is a very good complement to bread, as you know. (laughs) Beer and bread go together. And and people usually eat bread and drink beer with it. Uh,
0: Look, I I, I think I could envisage two or three weeks in lockdown without bread. Um, But two or three weeks in lockdown without beer, that might be a whole other thing for me. True.
1: So it's been, you know, it's been really a, an important thing. And what I, what I told you before we started this interview, which is quite important to me, is throughout this crisis, with the structure we put in place and, and, and the management structure we put in place and, and the people reacting and working all together, we have to realize, you know, that such a little virus, uh, which can spread out so fast, you know, it makes us ask us a lot of questions about, you know,
0: who we are in
1: this world in the end. And, and, you know, it's it's like a war. Many presidents and many people have made reference to war. But it's uh, it's even more tricky because you can't actually see it. You can't see it, you can't feel it, you can't taste it. And so people, because of that, they, they don't know always how to react. And they don't know how to behave because you don't have that that perception. You know, when you see something, it's more easy to react than when you don't see it. And all you can see here is when you have fever or when you have, when you have some symptoms, then then you can start to react. But but people have a trouble to to react in advance and be prepared because they they can't just you know grasp it and, and feel it completely. And so it's very important uh, for us to understand who we are, and and also it's very important to based on that uh, establish our priorities. And priorities also for the future, because, you know, not only for now, but what's going to happen next. Many people have said that you read it, you hear it, but we have to be convinced it's true. Uh, there will be before the crisis and, and, and after the crisis, even more so than when we had a fiscal or financial crisis about 12, 13 years ago. You know, I think it's going to be, uh, it's going to be quite interesting.
0: We don't want to just talk about uh, the the current situation because I really wanted to talk about uh, yeast. But before we move to that, um, tell me a little bit about how you came to to, to be in the industry because I know that you've got a background in food science, but you also spent uh, a a considerable period of time as the uh, Europe uh, sales director for uh, a hop company.
1: Yeah, correct. You know, I started started my, my journey... Uh, to where I'm at today uh, by studying uh, more science than anything else and, and more chemistry and food chemistry in particular and then studying also brewing because during my studies, I started to love beer and basically I dove into the beer world during my studies and, and never got out of it. Uh, so all of my career was, was oriented towards uh, beer production, beer development, Uh, Beer tasting, beer sensory (laughs) aspects. You know, I've always been passionate about that. uh, It's been really the backbone of my evolution. And indeed, I my first my first important job in in the beer world was was a hop supplier. You know, I I I started supplying hops and and developing hop products uh, very quickly for several companies, for myself, for other companies, and also for
0: worked for a very long
1: time for Yakima Chief. You know, Yakima Chief is, a, is today a major U.S. hub supplier. And uh, I worked with Yakima Chief between 1996, if my memory is right, until 2013, basically. And so I worked a lot on business development, global business development, and, and research and development, uh, developing the new hub products for
0: Talk to me about that because I know you live in Belgium, but were you did you grow up in Belgium?
1: Yes, I'm. I'm Belgian born, Belgian raised. Uh, I never lived anywhere else but in Belgium. But I travelled the world all my life.
0: (laughs) Talk to me a little bit about what it was like growing up in Belgium because I'm uh, you know I've I've been a beer writer for coming up for twenty years and fell in love with beers uh, the, the Australian moving from australian lagers which were about refreshment and volume as opposed to flavor and it was belgian beers that really opened my horizons to what beer could be for for, for somebody who grew up belgian uh, and, and drinking belgian beers what what was your exposure to, to to beer in the first place
1: at home i started drinking beer when i was uh, six or seven years old you know in belgium People people start drinking beer with a meal very early, or at least it used to be like that. It's a bit less today. Now the, the craft the craft industry, the craft beer industry, has been surging everywhere around the world. But it has existed for a longer period of time uh, than just the last 25, 30, 40 years, even uh, in countries like Belgium, England, uh, Germany, some other countries in Europe. You know the craft the craft style beer. Uh, has existed for a much much longer period of time, and so it is integral it, it, it is really truly part of the culture and when you're when you 're brought up when you 're educated when you 're at home uh, with a meal, you quickly get a beer uh, table beer as we call it uh, but also very quickly you get intrigued by beer and so you 're starting to taste all kinds of beers and we have such a patrimonium and, and such a such a very interesting broad patrimonium of beers, craft style beers uh, of so many different styles with such a high quality that it has indeed been a reference uh, for many craft segments developing around the world. Starting with the U.S., you know, I've, I've also owned my own brewery here in Belgium and, uh, for more than 12 years and, and every year we had brewers from around the world having I would call it, uh, I don't know how you call it, but beer trips around Belgium or across Belgium. And they would visit our brewery uh, to get inspired on on, on beer recipes and and raw materials to use and new styles and older styles. And then, of course, the craft industry around the world has taken these bases and has redeveloped them and made them evolve towards more styles and new styles. So take the, the older styles from Europe And and we expand from there to develop new kinds of beer, and new styles of beer. I've had many exchanges with many brewers around the world on that, uh, especially from the U.S., uh, but also from everywhere else. You know, we had even brewers come from China. We did our little brewery in Belgium just to get inspired on on these craft style beers and, and, and raw materials and the beer culture from countries like Belgium.
0: When you were um, having beer with meals when you were young, was it something like a, a, a stellar artois, or was it something that was a little bit more uh, interesting and complex than
1: what we were calling table beer? You know, in Belgium, the, all the brewers, the major brewers, were producing table beer, low alcohol uh, but flavorful beer for for drinking with a meal. And uh, and as a kid, we always had. I mean, in the fridge, we had always these kind of beers and, and you could enjoy them during a meal, at least, I mean, a glass of them. Not, the purpose was not to, to overdrink, but it was really to get acquainted with beer, the complexity of the flavors and, and how they would match with food and enjoy it, really. It was, uh, and, and it was really an interesting thing, you know, and we, we really loved it. And it was a great base to expand from, to discover more beers and newer beers as you grew up, basically.
0: It's not a table beer, but one, one of the uh, uh, thrilling things for me when I was over for the sharing day last November was the trip that we had to to Duvel Brewery because that was one of the beers that just completely changed uh, my world and to, to go to the place that it was made was, uh, it was very exciting. Duvel
1: is one of my, my favourite beers. My favourite beer today in the world remains, is, or I should say has been for a long time, is still today and probably will be for a while, is our. Oval- it's a trappist uh, trappist beer from uh, an abbey down south in belgium uh it's a great beer exhibiting such a complexity uh you can drink it fresh you can drink it aged and as it moves across time uh, it develops always new flavors new aromatics and and you know more and more enjoyable
0: that was another wonderful experience because we uh, we visited the, the, the brewing university and just at a, at a little cafe across the road, we had lunch and I had the Orval and it was the freshest Orval because most of the stock that we get over here has spent quite a bit of time at sea. So it was very interesting to have it so young and so fresh.
1: Well, you see that that's very common in Belgium and that's, again, part of the culture. Many, 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 many places you can make a choice between wine and beer when you when you go along with a meal, and 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 in many many places you have really great quality beers. Uh, a diversity first, and then quality beers.
0: Now, talk to me then about how getting into the the, the hop industry, and particularly the the American hops, which tend to be very flavoursome and very different to the to the traditional hops. And when I speak to German brewers, for example, up until. Probably uh, a year or two ago, they were very dismissive of some of the highly hopped, um, very in-your-face hop characters that the American craft uh, brewers were doing it. But as someone who grew up in Belgium, you were working for a long time with uh, Yakima Chief Hops. What was that experience like? Have you have, Did you in- enjoy the flavour of hops?
1: Today, if I ask me today, I love it. <laughs> maybe, <laughs> maybe. 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 Maybe at the beginning it was not so obvious, but today I really love it. You know, I love I love the flavor of hops. This being said, though, you know that's one thing that the United States have brought to the table in the beer industry is, or brought back to the table, I would say, is uh, understand the contribution that hops can have to beer. And you know, back in the 80s, it took a, a few brewers living close to hop fields uh, in Oregon uh, also in the Washington state or in Idaho uh, it took it took a few brewers to live close to these hop gardens to to just go and, and pick them and re-experience with them and and fortunately somehow I could say uh, they attracted the, the interest of consumers because in the US as you very well know there were only a very few brewers left only producing lagers, and, and not only lagers, but very light lagers. And so the taste of consumers were really driven by that. And, and people used to drink beer just to drink beer, but they were not truly enjoying beer. It was refreshing. It was thirst uh, quenching, it was, but it was not purely for the flavor that people were enjoying beer. It was just for the thirst and, and, anything, and, and nothing else. And so some crazy people uh, decided to brew their own beers and experiment with with hops and some bars started to be attracted and consumers and and that whole hop wave uh, started from there in the 80s by a few people. Who exactly? I don't know. But, you know, I I used to travel there uh, early 90s and it was early days and you could really go to these few people that were starting to exhibit these beers. And it was not very common to to find them. And so I think the hop wave has become too intense at times. Uh, You know, it's uh, especially if you look at the United States, that hop wave has grown, grown, grown. And people have started to look at only hops and how can you diversify a beer only with hops. And actually, hops have become overwhelming and covering everything else at times. And it becomes only a hop juice and, and not not anymore a truly fine product complex with the right balance and, and, and all the aspects you can find in it and, and, and even talk about it and say, oh, I have a little bit of this multi-hints, but yes, there is dominance of hops, but it's not covering, you know, the carbonation and these kind of aromatics and flavors. And today, again, I love hops, but I like hops very much when the character they exhibit is balanced across many different aspects. It can be dominant. It should not be overwhelming and really be covering everything else because it's it's becoming just purely a hop juice and and I think that that trends and that uh, that fashion of very highly hoppy beers uh, has developed primarily in the United States has percolated from there across the world at different pace and different rates and I don't think every country and every region around the world will adopted as strongly as, as the United States have done. And even in the U.S. at some point, that wave will start to, to go back down and, and the appreciation of hops might be different in the future again. You know, Everything is a cycle, huh? as you very well know. Uh, economic cycle, product cycle, You know, everything is a cycle. Especially when you go too high in intensity, people might get a little bit uh, fed up with it faster and it might reduce a little bit. So it was it was it was truly a, a passion. It was truly interesting to promote hops, especially in the 90s and, and early 2000s, and even today, because there's still a lot of interest going on for hops. Uh, I don't know for how long there will be. It's been a pleasure to develop new styles of beers, new kinds, and especially transfer the IPA style into the rest of the world from the United States based on hops. It's been very interesting because a lot of uh, a lot of passion has been been generated from there. But uh, I think it might be a bit too much at times. And on top of that, today, I think many people establish breweries and start brewing thinking that hops make it all and uh, not having the right backgrounds, a brewer background. You know, I studied brewing engineer as well uh, in my early days. Uh, Brewing is quite complex. You know, it involves many many different things, Uh, You need to be conscious, of course, of hygiene. Hygiene is of utmost importance. You need to be conscious, of course, of your raw materials uh, quality. But you need to be conscious also of every little little process piece that you put in place to convert uh, the grain initially, mixing it with water, adding the hops, the yeast, and any other ingredients. You need to be conscious of every little step uh, what impact it has on the final quality of the beer, and it's quite complex. So I just want to finish by saying that, you know, hops hops should not cover it all. Yes, some styles of beer, of course, are, are great with a lot of hops, and they should remain and stay, and they will remain and stay. But but only counting on hops is not everything. I think indeed yeast can bring a lot to the table, uh, other ingredients as well, and malt as well. Uh, that's the beauty of beer as you compare it to other maybe fermented beverages. Uh, beer offers the opportunity to probably exhibit the widest range of flavors, aromatics, mouth perceptions than any other uh, fermented beverage. Uh, I think the scope uh, might be a little bit more narrow with other fermented beverages.
0: It's interesting because I, I think the world is starting to accept that perhaps. We got too excited about hops, but hops have done so much to reinvigorate interest in beer in you know, large parts of the world that, as you said, had lost interest in the flavour aspects that beer can have, and were looking more just at the refreshment and the effects that it could bring. But it must be gratifying to you, working for Fermentus, that we are starting to see yeast Come back into focus, and brewers very much looking on some of the flavors that yeast can bring to beer as
1: well. Yeah, no, correct. And in fact, you know, we we are working very hard on on understanding what the contribution of yeast is to the flavor of beer. Uh, unlike maybe yeah, no, very like, very much like a, a hop. And again, I, I just want also to say, don't take me wrong. Uh, again, I love hops, and and hops are essential to brew beer and, and and hops should make a wide diversity of beers, which it does make today. Um, I think the contribution of yeast is very interesting because yeast is like a little tiny microscopic factory. You know, it's, a, it's the only ingredients in beer. Uh, it's very different from hops and malt are very comparable in the way that they are. Vegetative material both has grown on a field, been dried, and, and then you exploit in, this, in these raw materials, the components that are into these kernels and, and hop cones, and, but they're virtually dead when you dose them into the beer. Uh, yeast is, 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 you know, it's a little microscopic factory, and, and it, has to be, it has to be fed, and it's fed with malt components. Fed with hot components as well, and and the yeast will transform, will actually incorporate, uh, modify, transform, and release components coming from this malt, coming from the hops, and will modify uh, the expression of these components. And that's where it becomes very important: is how can the yeast truly affect? Uh, uh, the flavor expressed by hops and malt or the flavor of the beer in the end. And and we put a huge amount of effort and work uh, going into that today. To me, what's very important, what's always been important is that one ingredient does not make a beer. And that's why I said also about hops, one hop variety does not make a beer. One yeast does not make a beer. Uh, One malt will not make a beer. It's the combination of all these elements together that will interact and, and one of them will modify the others more, uh, that will develop the ultimate flavor and aromatics, taste, pleasure, expressed by, you know, developed by a beer. And so today it's very important to understand how that yeast, what impact it has uh, on that flavor and actually educate, educate the, the users, educate the, the brewers, and, but also we do it in wine making We do it in cider uh, a lot. We try to understand how this this microorganism can modify the flavor, orient the flavor, develop the flavor, and and reach a final flavor of certain kinds. And that's why also we do not position a product according to one beer style or one beer. Uh, One product to me can make many different beers or, for what matters, many different wines and ciders and other beverages because... It's the way you use it and what you use it with that will ultimately uh, develop your your flavour profile.
0: One of the things that intrigues me at the moment is, you know, particularly when Belgian yeasts or um, German wheat beer yeasts, um, the, the, the flavour um, has been a, a key element of, of the yeast. But these days we're actually looking at research and development into yeasts that don 't ferment all of the sugars, so we can create a much lower alcohol uh, beer without having uh, millions of dollars worth of distillation equipment. Tell us a little bit about what's involved in researching and developing you know those those ultra low alcohol yeasts
1: yeah we've we've raised that development acts on priority number one uh, in our research program for three four years now because it's really become very obvious that that's one of the major trends, uh, you know, going along with you know, all the all the trends that go along for, you know, in, in line with, uh, how should I say, health health preservation of people. And so we've put a lot of efforts in development and, and developing solutions for low and no alcohol beer uh, production. And so obviously we didn't want to go into what you expressed as, uh, I mean, We didn't want to go into technology that removes alcohol after fermentation because the core of our business is fermentation. So we oriented very quickly towards uh, microorganisms that can produce very low alcohol, still consuming sugars, certain kinds of sugars, and producing very low alcohol in the end. Um, Most of these microorganisms are today maltose negative. So they, they do not consume... The dimers of glucose. Uh, they don't consume the complex sugars, trimers, and and four monomers together, and dextrins and complex sugars. They stick to glucose and and some fructose, and and so we have the first microorganism we developed was a uh, Saccharomyces cerevisiae uh, variety Chevalieri, which is a very interesting microorganism, which I actually. You know, development of that microorganism was actually prompted by a major brewer of this world, uh, which very quickly was looking at solutions to to indeed reduce the production of alcohol, still fermenting and producing complex flavors and aromatics, but not producing as much alcohol. And so we worked together on, on the development of these microorganisms, the Chevalieri, and uh, they're buying it from us. But, you know, we as we develop the product, we put it in the market for uh, anyone, anyone who wants to make low to no alcohol beer. So we have developed uh, the right protocol that goes along with with these microorganisms, how to use them, uh, how to how to make them ferment, uh, and then more importantly, we also uh, understood very well how to make sure that you don't create any trouble with these microorganisms because, you know, these microorganisms not consuming maltose. Once, once you make them ferment, they will leave the maltose behind. So the brewer, of course, has to make sure that there is no single contaminant in his beer other than Chevalieri, to not allow these microorganisms, regular Saccharomyces cerevisiae, which is not maltose negative, to consume these maltose throughout uh, bottle conditioning and, and storage, of the beer in a longer period of time, which which was obviously very dangerous, very much like if you contaminate your your beer fermentation with a diastatic yeast. You know, these uh, yeah. we have to be very conscious of that. So when you make a low to no alcohol beer with a maltose negative yeast, like a Chevalieri, but we're also working on other yeast today, we're planning to release a few more during this year and next year, um, now, of course, we're a bit slowed down in research and development with this coronavirus situation. <laughs> That's another aspect uh, that we did not mention in the beginning. But the virus, of course, has impacted our way of working, and research and development is one of them because a lot of the resources we had access to are slowed down, if not closed. Anyway, we're planning to release a few more of these microorganisms. But any one of them, when you use them, you have to be careful that you pasteurize your beer in the bottle after you've done the fermentation, uh, the main fermentation of that beer. Uh, You cannot allow any contaminant to be present in that beer after main fermentation with these maltose-negative microorganisms.
0: But what's involved in uh, the the research and development phase? Because I would imagine, uh, apart from finding a yeast that is maltose-negative and so it's not going to ferment out some of those more complex uh, sugars... But you also, as you said, beer is all about balance. So you need something that has, you know, at least, neutral or positive flavor characteristics, but then also, uh, you know, ferments in a way that the beer tastes good um, and has the right mouthfeel. How do you go about selecting out a yeast that does all of that? Uh,
1: that's a broad question. Huh? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> that's a broad question. You know, in, in research and development today, we have. Three major axes that we focus our works on. Uh, the first axe is understanding the existing products we have in our portfolio, because again, as I said earlier, we we one yeast does not make a beer. So let's understand what we have in our portfolio in terms of yeast and bacteria as well. By the way, because I, I was going to come
0: to bacteria to because bacteria that's something that a lot of that, that we often don't think of when we talk about yeast. But with the developing beer styles. Bacteria is something that brewers are increasingly calling on. Yeah,
1: exactly. And we can come back to that a bit later. Uh, the first axis is understanding better our portfolio of products, uh, and when I say that, it's in many, many ways. It's it's technically, so technically meaning, how fast does it work? Uh, how far does it go into the sugar consumption uh, attenuation in this case? How 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 resistant is it to CO two How resistant is it to ethanol? How much does it stick together and flocculate, And how fast does it sediment in different environments? So these are the technical aspects that relate to to the yeast. But also we work a lot on the sensory aspects and how does the yeast develop a flavor and under which conditions. And for that, we explore a very, very wide range of conditions uh, in which we we, we put our our yeast uh, in action to understand how it works. And only, only when that yeast or that portfolio we have, we see that it cannot address a beer style or it cannot address uh, uh, a flavor profile uh, specific or it cannot address a marketing trend, I would call, or it cannot address something like that. Then we go into new product development and we look at adding more products to our portfolio. But the idea is not to 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 expand our portfolio and make it worth you know uh, hundreds and hundreds of products, it's, it's really a combination of the product on one side and the understanding of the other side that should orient the choice of the user and the brewer to you know, put it in, in action and, and, and reach you know, uh, what he wants to do. And so it's, 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 so we do a lot in, in flavor uh, in one of the axes of our development programme. And, and altogether, also, in all these respects, whether it's a new product or a product understanding, we work a lot on quality improvement as well. You know, quality has become, as always been, but it's more and more essential uh, to these microbiological works. Uh, quality is, is, of course, very essential.
0: We mentioned bacteria. Is that something that yeast suppliers have traditionally focused on, or is, that a fair, or is lactobacillus a fairly new uh, product for you?
1: No, it's it's sour beers. Sour beers have been existing. It have been existing for for centuries. You know, uh, sour beers are are one of the oldest forms of beers that exist.
0: But uh, I guess you know, hundreds of years ago, they tended to be sour naturally, whereas these days brewers are exactly. deliberately a- a- adding those to their beers.
1: Exactly. But but uh, you're exactly correct. That's the beauty of of uh, of brewing, which we're trying to transposed to wine, because, I mean, I don't want to talk to, about wine right now, it's such a different world, but, but uh, the wine world still, in many traditional places around the world, thinks that wine is a, is a divine product, you know, that's made by the Spirit of God fermenting wine grape juice, and, and, and people don't know, uh, it's, it's crazy, but consumers and people don't realize that the process of making wine is virtually the same as making beer. Or bread, and that in any case, you have to add today yeast or a microorgan to ferment your uh, your raw material. but But initially, indeed, fermentation was spontaneous and 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 some beers have gone through the centuries and decades and still exist today, made by f- spontaneous fermentation. The problem is that brewers don't want to make spontaneous fermentation all the time, for two reasons, the first reasons. Many times because they can't, because the environment that they're in does not offer the complexity of the microorganisms in the air that can do this spontaneous inoculation and then ferment spontaneously. Uh, and so there is not that environment that allows to do it. And secondly, you don't want always in a brewery that needs to be very clean. Uh, you don't want to have that complex world of bugs and microorganisms into your, into your world. So so new solutions have appeared and have developed and try to reproduce this sour fermentation by controlling the addition of the bacteria and not let them come from the air, basically. Um, and souring, which is the most applied souring process today for making sour beer on the craft side, uh, even though on the industrial side, there's a lot of lactic acid used or other solutions as well, you know, Kettle souring has increased in interest because it allows the brewer to control the souring with one or two or three bugs and not have to have a complex uh, uh, a complex flora into your into your work and in addition, it allows you again to decompose your process and to create sourness but not completely cover maybe the hoppiness or not maybe completely cover uh, the alcohol part uh, that you can get with second fermentation with a traditional yeast Saccharomyces cerevisiae so adding the bacteria one by one allows you to make a better combination and explore different worlds as well Uh, and so the interest of of, of bacteria has been there for a long time Uh, offering pure culture bacteria whether liquid or dry uh, is fairly new only in recent years yeah and so it's I think it's going to continue to develop so you know, you were asking what we do in the research and development. Of course, we follow the trends. So we, 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 we are into the low-alcohol beer world. We are in the sour beer world as well. Uh, and we will continue to explore options with that. And we are as well in the so-called, between brackets, wild beer worlds, with all kinds of microorganisms other than bacteria, others than Saccharomyces cerevisiae it can be non-Saccharomyces as well. So, and it will continue to grow because flavor to beer is so important and fermentation contributes so much to flavor development that we have to make sure that we offer all the right solutions to the brewers to create that world of flavors and pleasure and aromatics.
0: And I guess it's, you can never take away. When we're talking about the sensory, the aesthetics, um, you know, and the, the the visual appeal of beers, and we're seeing uh, hazy beers or cloudy beers increasingly driving the, the the market, but of course they're very challenging to package. Um, so brewers that want to give that experience uh, to to the to the packaged beer drinker. Are there challenges involved in brewers keeping that haziness or there's a, an increased focus on the functional products that allow them to do that uh, a, a little bit easier?
1: Yeah, that's correct. It's one of the axes that we that we focus on in R&D. Uh, you know, we have a chance to be working in, in wine. Um, in wine today, you have a lot of functional products. Uh, functional products... Just to explain very quickly, functional products are um, they are products derived from yeast. So it's actually not live yeast. It's inactive yeast, inactivated yeast, or between brackets, dead yeast. Uh, and we start to explore the utilization of yeast components. What what yeast components could we use based on their physical chemical characteristics first and 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 based on their physical chemical characteristics, what application can we put them in? What could we use them for as a natural uh, ingredient, as a natural component? What effect could it have on, on a wine or a beer? And in wine, it has existed for quite a while. You know, you have products in wine which stabilize the color, for example, of a red wine. You know, there are products in the wine industry derived from yeast, purely from yeast, which actually reinforce the, the, the color of the red wine. And, and, and that's one of the aspects. Another aspect, we have products that clarify a wine, you know, that will eliminate all these components. Like when you clarify a beer, that will clarify the wine. We have components and products derived from yeast which protect the flavor uh, from oxidation, for example, and, and maintain the flavor on the shelf, you know, quite consistent over time. So we, we have a number of products already in the wine world and we do try to also inspire ourselves in the beer world from the wine world and, and have a, a cross-fertilization of projects where we can actually bring to the, wor- the beer world what the wine world has and, and 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 vice versa. And so today we have developed some products already for beer, uh, yeast derivatives that we call as such or functional products as you called. Uh, yeast derivatives that will have uh, a function in, in beer. And one of the first is Spring Blanche. And Spring Blanche is a, it's a yeast protein extract. So it's an extract of proteins coming from yeast. It's a quite technical product because we have to focus also on a certain protein range. Uh, how should I say? Uh, molecular size of proteins and type of proteins. Because as you very well know, haze in beer is primarily a complex of proteins and and polyphenols and so we to reinforce and also understand first what what is BRAs. base is a colloid you know it's a suspension in the liquid it's a suspension of a network of components interacting with each other and that that network in suspension in the liquids needs to remain stable and how can you stabilize that and that that understanding comes from my my hop days before you know we in my early days in the in the hop world, we developed a product called uh, tetrahydroiso-alpha acids, and, and tetrahydroiso-alpha acids we understood played a role in stabilizing that network in the liquids and, and making a stable haze. And when I joined, you know, the, the yeast world, the idea came to also interact on that network, but from the protein side, as we had a protein source being the yeast. And so that's why we work on this product, uh, Spring Blanche, a yeast protein extract, able to stabilize this colloid, colloids, this network in suspension, so that we have a stable haze. And we realize it has a very good effect on, on any kind of beer, almost. And especially, it's been very interesting also in the New England IPA, for example. Even though you have a lot of hop contribution, uh, you also have a lot of malt contribution of different types of grain, different types of grains with different compositions and different protein contributions. And so our, our yeast protein extract, Spring Blanche is a very good contributor to stabilize the whole network in suspension in the liquid when you make lazy beers
0: over time. I, I guess that represents a bit of a change. I, I remember when I first started writing about craft beer, there was this idea of that we're only going to be natural. We're only going to be malt, water, hops, and yeast, but as, the market has matured and as beers travel further, keeping the aesthetics of, of, a, of a beer, keeping it look good, brewers are realising that some of these natural techniques are important to for the consumer experience is, is what I'm picking up. Is, is, is that one of the things that drives something like spring blanche?
1: Yeah, correct. Yeah, that's exactly it. When we rethought our strategy uh, four years ago, I will not tell you all of our strategy because... If I tell you, I'll have to kill you after. But, uh, <laughs> but I'll, I'll, I won't tell you all our strategy. But, but clearly, you know, when we in the very early hours and, and days of, of recreating our strategy four years ago, we we try to understand uh, what are we there for? What is Fermentis there for? What can we bring to this world? What can we bring to you know to the world of beverage manufacturing and? and fermentation, and we had a lot of thoughts going into that. One of the images that came out was our vision, you know, our vision being um, the obvious choice for beverage fermentation is what we want to be. Well, we might never be, because it's very ambitious, and it, it might be very selfish to believe that you are at any point in time in the future, today or in or, or the future, but it is what we want to be. And sometimes I, I think about maybe how we should write it differently. You see that sentence on many of the promotional material we have and documents we have, the obvious choice for beverage fermentation. No, it's not what we are today, but it's what, what we want to be. It's what we want to become. You know, it's our dream, our common dream. And and everything and, and when you say the obvious choice for beverage fermentation, it means that it means to me and to us, to our people, to our staff, it means that any beverage manufacturer, wherever he is, you know, he can be small in his kitchen, in his garage, it can be in a craft size uh, manufacturing plant, it can be in a very large manufacturing plant, it uh, can be very remote, it can be anywhere in the world, it can be in a big city, but also. Far away in a village, you know, when you make a beverage, you want to be creative. You want to create something of quality that people enjoy. And our our vision is we want to be able to contribute to that wherever you are, whoever you are, whatever you make. And and the ultimate goal when we developed our strategy was to contribute to the consumer pleasure. And, And, you know, you can only make a quality beverage when you have a quality person making it with the right knowledge and the right education, and when you have the right ingredients and, and components going into it. And for us, obviously, we want to have the highest quality products offering the biggest diversity possible in usage in developing flavor, experience, and, and pleasure, and so on. So that's why we develop these products, functional products as you call them, and they, they indeed they're functional products, Today, we also have fermentation ads. Uh, we have products derived from yeast that are helping other yeast, like yeast when they ferment to grow and ferment faster and better, to basically complement uh, the nutrition that comes from malt or wine grape juice or, or things like that, or apples and, and so on. So we have, we have functional products that characterize the product in terms of sensory aspects. We have nutritional products that help fermentation And then we have the yeast and the bacteria and maybe others to come that ferment and create alcohol CO2 or not necessarily alcohol, but for sure flavors and aromatics. And, and body and, and so on.
0: Stefan Mullermann, I've I appreciate how much of uh, your morning I've taken up. It's uh, I, I know your day will just be getting started, so I think that's as good a place as any to to, to leave it. But thank you very much for having a chat about how things are going with the the, the current COVID nineteen situation, and also for keeping us abreast of the uh, latest yeast developments. I thank you very much for your time.
1: Thank you, Matt. Thank you again for your opportunity. I think you know it's uh, it's always a pleasure to share uh, what we are about. What we think and what we do and, and who we are and and I appreciate very much the opportunity uh, that you give us to to express that. I just hope i 've not been too long too cumbersome <laughs> at times, and it was clear enough but you know I'm, I'm, I'm quite passionate about things and i can get I can talk for hours about things, so it could have lasted for me still a while but i uh, Thank you very much.
0: It just means we'll have to get you on again. Uh, as I said, you know, I spent a wonderful day uh, in Lille uh, with your team, uh, listening to them uh, talk about all of the research. So I just wanted to capture a little bit of that, but there's certainly lots more that we can talk about next time.
1: Thank you. You have a great evening.
0: I, I can go and have a beer now with my dinner.
1: <laughs> Make the right choice. <laughs>
0: And that was Stefan Mullermanns. I mentioned in my opening that I had the chance to attend the Fermenter Sharing Day last year. I will add that I paid my own way to attend those, but there were a couple of presentations that I saw there that I hope to be able to record one day, or at least follow up with some of the technical people who presented. Because as a non-brewer, they were fascinating about the developments in yeast. And I think for many of our brewer listeners, they would be even more so. So stay tuned and I'll see what I can do there. In the meantime, Radio Brews News is proudly presented by Cryer Malt. With over 25 years in the field, Cryer Malt are dedicated to providing the finest brewing ingredients to help brewers create the foundations of a truly excellent beer. Your premium brewing partner and proud sponsors of Brews Newsweek.